Welcome back to Weekend Thoughts. My name is Nate Ansatomaso. As we get towards the end of the year, we're going to revisit a couple of the most impactful Weekend Thoughts from this year. Let's go. Middle Tech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's entrepreneurship and innovation partner. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to work alongside an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information at kyinnovation.com. So today, as we're approaching the end of the year, I wanted to highlight two of the best examples of Weekend Thoughts from this year. You know, if we think about this format as a transparent, um, you know, very raw, true look into topics and issues that the Middle Tech team is passionate about, there's two examples from this year that I think are are really special and in, in because of that, really valuable to the listener, um, showcasing topics that are important to us and how we're thinking about them and hopefully give give the listener a mental model um, to those topics as well because we spend a lot of time thinking about these things. So in this Week in Thoughts, we're going to play two back-to-back um, previous Week in Thoughts, and then I'm just going to set some context here. The first one is from TJ Barnett. It was from March 19th originally. It's called The Social Media Mental Health Epidemic. In the, in the piece, TJ explores how social media has permanently rewired our brains and the implication that that has had on him personally. You know, TJ is starting his own social media marketing agency, so he has to be online, on social, on Instagram, on TikTok, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everything constantly. And for the business, that's good. For himself, personally, mentally, sometimes it's not a great thing. So that's a really, really interesting look into what's needed for work versus what's needed for mental health and how you balance those things. Um, So that's a great piece that we'll play first. The second one is called Entrepreneurship is Sales, and it's from February 12th. In this one, Evan Knowles overviews how everything about being an entrepreneur boils down to one key skill, which is sales. Evan is ramping up his own company, Simba, uh, and he is selling literally to customers. He's selling to investors. He's selling to strategic partners. Um, so that that piece really gives a really good example, a really good insight into how he's thinking about every single role that he needs to play as CEO of the company and how pretty much all of those roles boil down to skills that he's honed over time around sales. So that's a very personal piece as well. So I hope you enjoy these two rebroadcasts and get just a little bit more out of them um, as you think about how how they impact the the authors personally. Let's go. And so I, I really wanted to kind of talk about the severity between mental health and social media because it's something that I've dealt with. I know that I've had close friends and family deal with um, and are still dealing with it on a consistent basis. And and and, and yeah, personally, I am too. And I just felt like it was it, it needed to be a little more natural um, than just reading off of my document here. So I want to kind of talk about, you know, first of all, give some personal examples um, and, some, and some battles that I've um, gone through with social media and, and, and mental health. Talk about ways that social media has evolved since 2010, ways that it continued to evolve. And then um, I kind of want to give three ways that have helped me be better in my mental health and trying to stay away from social and, and not tying myself 
things like status updates or, or photos or videos on social. So I'll, I'll dive into um, some personal battles with social media and mental health that I've had. You know, I've had social media since it came out, since Facebook came out, since I think it was 2006, maybe 2007. I was just heading into middle school. Maybe I was in sixth or seventh grade. And, you know, it was the coolest thing ever. When it came out, it was being able to connect with friends and, and, and talk a lot of, you know, as a sixth and seventh grader, talk a lot of crap to your friends <laughs> in the comments. And yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, very exciting. Nobody really knew how to how to manage it. They just kind of, you know, everybody was exploring and it was a time of exploration for all of us. And especially as kids, you know, there was a lot of pressure to, to kind of have a presence online. And it, it was kind of immediate, you know, to, in today's world, if you don't have social media, you're almost looked at as weird or like really outdated with the times. But back then, everybody was kind of like just jumping on. But for, for kids at that moment, it was very instant, very quick. And our attention was taken away from us uh, a lot faster than I think the the older adults, you know, Gen Z, certainly boomers, a lot of them still haven't made their way onto a social media platform yet. But but yeah, it, it was uh, it was it was instant. It was instant gratification, instant um, understanding of of what social media was. Uh, we adapted with the times. Uh, at first, it was Facebook. Then Twitter came around. That that live live reaction to all. Uh, all events happening around the world. Um, great, great thing to be a part of. Um, great news outlet. Then Instagram came around. Snapchat, which we could go, I could do a whole series of weekend thoughts on the unhealthy attachments that there are to Snapchat. But you know, again, it's it's something that really grabbed the attention of the of the younger generation, and has kind of held a grip on that demographic for a long time now. To my surprise, honestly, I, I thought Snapchat would be one of those that did fizzle out after Facebook and Instagram took over their stories and, and all that. But it's, it still resonates with, with younger children, and they, they, do, they do a good job pertaining to that demographic as well. And, and so seeing seeing the rise of social, and, and now we have things like TikTok, which you know is just an instant gratification machine. I've never seen a platform so tied to grabbing your attention in less than two seconds. I mean, every video has a hook. Every video is, an, is attempting you to suck you in. And then after you've watched five videos, you don't remember the first video you watched. You know, it, are, it, it, it can't be healthy from that aspect to see the attention that we give TikTok on a daily basis and then, you know, end up scrolling through, finding videos, and after you sat down for 15, 20 minutes, uh, because it really is a time sucker, you sat down for 15, 20 minutes, you've probably watched, you know, 30, 40, 50 videos. I mean, that's a lot of content to consume back to back to back to back. And unless I've saved a video or, you know, put it in my notes, I'm going to have no idea and no recollection of watching or con consuming any of that content. So we've we've come a long way. Whether you know we started with Facebook, just a text only status update was was something that's huge. And now you know you don't really see text only outside of Twitter. But now we're at we're at a TikTok stage where the attention is being grabbed and unhealthfully pointing at us, poking us, 
trying to notify us, let us get inside of a universe that is not ours out in this world right now. And so it's it's tough. It's tough for, I don't know, it, you know, I'm 26 now growing up in this era of social media in the one that I grew up in, like I mentioned earlier with, you know, Facebook and the development of that, it was, it was nice because we were, we were the, the, the guinea pigs, if you will. We were the ones who kind of uh, really explored and tested out these platforms. But now uh, it's a, it's a full fledged machine and it's, it's a machine that constantly goes after your mental uh, attention. And, and, and honestly, it, it, it has, it has a negative, negative effect on the, on the brain. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's designed for you to care about what others think about you. It's designed for you to be self-conscious in terms of your life is designed for you to feel left out. It's designed for you to feel that, that FOMO that I just mentioned. Yeah. It's designed for you to feel that FOMO. And when you are constantly aware of what others are saying about you or what others are thinking about you, and you predicate your life based on those decisions, you've now, um, you now have handcuffs on, right? You, you are now a slave to uh, others' opinions. You are now a slave to social media instead of using it as a tool to be successful. And so that's my biggest thing um, with the mental health aspect of, of it is it, it's, and that's why I said it's irreversible at this point. We've had now 12, 13 years of, of dominance from social media, from our lives. Everybody gets on it. Everybody checks their um, notifications. Everybody either gives a status update, posts a photo, maybe a video of their family reunion. I don't care what it is. It is being put on social media pretty instantly. Um, and and the, the amount of content that is out there today, it's, it's absurd. Um, and you'd think at some point it would become saturated, but we've seen content that has lived on uh, for years, um, whether it's your favorite sports account, reposting the same Jeremy Lin highlight in January when Lin Sanity happened, or the same Tom Brady moment after the Super Bowl with his family. We've seen it a million times, but we'll see it a million more times because we're just we're, we're always looking for that stimulation. That stimulation is something that you know wasn't meant to be so consistent, so constant in our lives. You know, they say good things are in moderation, and then that and that's true, and especially with social media. And so that's kind of what I want to dive into to, to finish this out is a few ways that I've done in my life to try and help myself get away from social media and, and clear up my mental capacity because it, it really has been uh, for me, like I said earlier, I, I was attached. I, I am currently still attached to my phone, my screen time upwards of four or five hours a week sometimes. And that's just my cell phone. <laughs> you know, I mean, my job is fully on my laptop. And so the actual times are, are way higher. But in terms of consuming social media, a couple hours a day is something that I'm struggling with. And, and it really puts me in a, in a mindset of failure. It puts me in a mindset of uh, depression in terms of you know, I feel that after I've sat down for, you know, 30 minutes, maybe even 45 minutes, maybe even an hour sometimes, you know, we've all had those moments of just being sucked into real into a different reality that is social media. After I do that, 
I, I'm looking at the time and I realize how much time I've, I've, I've dedicated to this, you know, constant gratification. And I just feel sad. I feel like I've, I've wasted a lot of my time and, and, and it's a violent circle that continues to go around and around. And so hopefully these three things can help you out. They've helped me out um, over the past couple of months. And uh, the first one is, you know, the screen time locks. But you, this, and this is super important, you cannot give yourself a passcode for your screen time locks. There's, it's just not going to work. I tried it and I, I did a pretty good job the first week. But once you, you know, you click uh, one more minute or you click enter screen time passcode, um, you're going to, you know, select to be available all day. Your will is not strong enough. Like I said earlier, it's irreversible, the control that social media has on our lives. And so you may think that you're, you know, and, and maybe you can for, for a good amount of time, but eventually you will kind of cave in and lock on your password. So you have to give it to a trusted friend or family member. Um, that way it is just out of your hands. It, it has given me more freedom of thought um, and, and free space knowing that when I, if I see that timer pop up, the five minute timer, I know I have five minutes. I know that once it gets locked, I can't access it unless I <laughs> were to make a fool out of myself with my, with my friend who has it. And so that, that's one thing that, you know, it's, it's just great to have that accountability from somebody else and to know that it's out of your hands and out of your mind and you're locked out for good if you, if you, if you choose to do this. And so the second, the second tip I had was kind of something that I've started this year and really, you know, dove into, and it's, it's been said many times, but it's, it's meditation and, and trying to put an emphasis on living in the moment sitting down for 10 minutes for me that's that comes first with prayer i pray to god that he can give me a clear mind and a, and, a, and a fresh a fresh mind for the day and then i go into just you know 10 minutes of quiet time every single day to try and clear my head and and have some some free flowing thoughts come in and come out and really slow down time. Um, it's one thing that social media does the exact opposite, right? Social media speeds up time. Social media takes away your time. And so I want to get some of that back by doing meditation. And it's been great so far. Um, it's difficult to, to start, especially if you're, if you're like me and your mind's constantly racing. You know, I have a few different jobs right now, uh, full-time at the NFL. I'm doing middle tech pretty much full-time as well. I'm also helping build the business. And so this is something that I've really benefited from. And and the living in the moment part is super important to me as well, because it's not, that's not just meditation. That's, you know, being with your wife and having a nice dinner and, and talking and staying away from phones. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than connecting with family, friends, having real conversations, about life, about, you know, faith, about sports, about whatever the case may be, having real life conversations with people is something that really helps me to live in the moment and to try and stay away from my phone in that moment. Um, and then finally, counseling and therapy. Now, I actually, uh, I, I used to have a therapist, I, I'm sorry, I used to have a counselor with my wife when we did, you know, marriage counseling. And then we, we stayed in that counseling for a year, a little bit of a year after that. And, but, but since then I haven't, 
I haven't seeked help. Uh, part of it is just the, the cost of it and it, it is expensive. So, you know, if this is one route that you want to take, you know, I definitely suggest it if you can afford it, because when we do have somebody to go to and we have somebody that can um, help us work through the issues in our head and help us help us slow down. That's the biggest thing is, is helping us slow down, think about things thoroughly, come to a uh, strategic and logical decision. The counselors and therapists are, are really great for that. And so, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm looking to try and get back into this to, to, to be to, to help me out. Um, and just because you go to counseling doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. <laughs> you know, like I think it, it was always looked at in a bit of a negative light. And this is especially true for men. You know, we burying our feelings is something that men do a lot. And there's a lot of jokes around it. But in reality, it's it's very unhealthy. And it's we need an outlet to kind of discuss and 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 talk through what is bothering us and, and how we can become better as a result. So, those are my three tips: screen time logs, meditation, living in the moment, focusing on that, and then seeking help with counseling or therapy. You know, the, the first two that I'm doing uh, with screen time logs and meditation, it's been working out great for me. I'm looking forward to getting a ther- a, a counselor or a therapist soon. And so, you know, I, I really just want to close it out with saying while this mental health and social media crisis is at an all time high and I, and I started the video pretty negatively when I said that it's irreversible just because it's irreversible in, in terms of the effects that, the, that our mental health has gone through does not mean that we can't move forward and try to help ourselves get back to a better place from here on out. And so I think that, you know, the journey is going to be long for all of us. Um, We have to fight through it. We have to be there for each other. We have to love each other. But, you know, not all hope is lost. Uh, the, The social media with everything that's happening right now, I think that we have really had to put an emphasis on that in the moment feeling, in the moment connection, and and try to combat the 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 effects that we've seen as a result of what social media has become. So, thanks for thanks for listening. I'm gonna do my best to to work on my addiction uh, to social media. I think it's okay to admit that we all. Um, have some sort of an addiction to it and you know connect let's connect hit me up on the side I'm, I'm somebody who really loves to have conversations and especially about this kind of stuff and I would love to help you in any way that you can if you're struggling and you and you want to talk through some stuff just just hit me up my information should be in the description um, but you know connect with me on LinkedIn at TJ Barnett and uh, let's have a conversation but Thanks again for listening and and have a great, great rest of the weekend. All right. So when it comes to being a founder, everything you do all day, every day is sales, especially if you're the CEO, you have to sell co-founders on joining you. You have to sell investors to give you money. You have to sell customers to buy your product and you have to sell your employees to join your business. In the early days, the pitch is the same to each of these groups of people. And let me explain how. So first off, people misunderstand what sales is. Sales, uh, to the vast majority of people, seems to be forcing a product down somebody's throat, whether they want it or not. So think uh, a car salesman or a person at the mall who's sitting at a phone booth or one of those screen 
uh, protector booths at the mall. But in reality, sales is very different. It's quite the opposite than what a sales person that most people think of is doing. Sales is all about listening and understanding your audience. And the primary thing to understand about that audience is how can their life improve? What is getting in the way of their life being the best version it can be? So I like to think of salespeople as like the frontline problem solvers. They're consultants. They have the hardest job of anybody in the business. And for that reason, they're typically the highest paid at any business. If you go look at any business and you'll look at the highest paid employees, every one of them will be a salesperson. Uh, This is also reflected in the equity distribution of a startup typically. The person that recruits the team, recruits the investors, and brings in the revenue will have the biggest share of equity, and typically that is the founder and CEO. So once you understand how a person's life can improve, then you have to deliver the right message to them that gets them to understand how you are uniquely positioned to solve their problems. So I want to walk through each of these groups of people that I mentioned earlier and how you can sell to them. I'm going to break it down for you. So first off, if you are uh, a solo founder and you want to find co-founders, you're going to have to sell people on joining you. So typically you're going to want to find people that are passionate about building a product or a business. You're going to want to find people that don't want to work a nine to five. They want to have some flexibility and they want to work long hours because they care about some kind of problem that your business can solve. So understand what they care about and what problems in the world that they want to solve. Once you understand that, you can approach them and say, hey, I'm starting this awesome business. We're solving a problem you care about. You have an opportunity to change your lifestyle, do it again, whatever it might be. That's how you can sell a co-founder. It's all about understanding what motivates them, what they're passionate about and problems in the world they want to solve. And it's hard to find co-founders because they've got to take on a lot of risk and co-founders and founders of businesses in general are typically way more okay with taking on risk than anybody else. So pitch them on the business problem that you're solving and why it aligns with their unique talents and desires. Next, investors. Plain and simple, investors wanna make money. Convince them that you're solving a big enough problem in the world and there's a lot of people that have this problem and are willing to pay to have that problem solved. Sell them on how big that group of people is that have the problem. Sell them on why the timing in the whole world, the timing of your business existing is the best time. There's all kinds of reasons startups succeed, but one of the top reasons is timing. So sell them on why right now is the right time for your business to exist. Sell them on why you and the co-founders you recruited are the perfect team to solve this problem. Most of the time, businesses are successful because of timing, the team, and the problem. And if you convince them of those things, an investor will likely want to give you money. And especially if you have sales. So create some good graphs, show them why people are buying your product and show them how many people are buying your product. But if you don't have anything to sell yet, then you got to sell them on the big picture. And again, all investors care about is why that big picture is going to make them a lot of money. All right, customers. This one is super simple, but it's also the hardest, if that makes any sense. It's simple because there's only one thing that you're selling a customer on, and it's how you're going to make their life easier. And typically, you make a person's life easier or better by saving them time, money, or stress. If your product does any of those things or maybe all of those things, you're going to sell customers. Then all it comes down to is executing on product. And so, again, 
Customers are probably the simplest to explain how to sell to, but it's also the hardest because people are very picky. They might want to solve problems in different ways. They might have existing workflows and patterns and behavior that they don't want to change. And it's really hard to sell to customers. It's the reason most businesses don't get off the ground is they don't find product market fit and they don't know how to sell their product to a customer. So I encourage you to speak to a ton of potential customers before you launch a product, understand what their problem is in their life and build a product that solves that problem. Next, employees. Similar to founders, but a little less so uh, because they're coming into the business later when the business is probably in a more stable position, you got to sell them on your culture and your product and why it's going to be something that makes them want to get out of bed every day. Most people, when they switch businesses, it's because they're not happy where they were previously. They want a lifestyle change or they just want to feel a bit more meaning in their lives. So get to understand what it is that they want to change in their life. Understand what motivates them and help them meet that desire. If you do a good job selling your co-founders and those early employees, recruiting talent and selling people on your business later is going to be much easier. Talent follows talent. If you find really talented co-founders that have been in the industry or they uh, are known in the community to be talented individuals, people will follow them. I found this to be true in multiple situations and the better you sell early, the easier it is to sell later. Okay. To recap, if you want to start a business, learn sales because you can't build a business without it. It is impossible. There are a ton of great resources out there on the internet, but the main thing to understand is that you need to listen and then solve problems based on what people are telling you. It's not shoving something down somebody's throat. It's not trying to just make a lot of money. If you solve problems, the money follows. And in order to solve problems, you got to listen. The rest comes down to how you communicate. Thanks for listening.